trust everyone had a good Thanksgiving and got to eat all they wanted, or most all you wanted. Gluttony is an old testament sin, I heard. Gluttony? Yeah. And we live under grace now, so yeah, yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, tonight, we're talking about biblical accountability as a component of discipling, discipling others, and that uh, it's something that most of us are a little bit uncomfortable with because uh, most all of us are not um, open and transparent with others. We're not comfortable being open and transparent. We don't want people in our business uh, most of the time, right? I mean, most, just enough. Just enough to check it off the box and say we've been accountable but I don't want you to go too far where I start feeling comfortable, right? That's the way most of us are wired. So think about uh, think about Jonathan who struggles with internet pornography uh, but it's a shame to talk about it. Or Leanne who gets angry with her children but everything in her wants to fight against it but she doesn't know how to begin. Uh, or Joe who is in an aggressive career that can easily consume his life and infringe on everything in his life. You know, how are people, how do they navigate life, how do they move through these things uh, when, when um, they put, the, put up these roadblocks or these hindrances? You know, that I'm afraid that somebody's going to find out, I'm afraid to divulge this, I, I don't want anybody helping me because then I have to give up some kind of control uh, over my life. You know, Satan lies to us all the time. And one of the big lies that he tells us is that you can do this alone, right? Yeah. We live in a very independent culture, especially here in America, you know. We, we have that saying, you know, I, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, right? That's the quintessential uh, self-dependent-ism. And, uh, and we in America are pretty good at that. And, and really, I guess our culture has this, uh, this tension in it. We have those that, that want everybody to do something. They want everything done for them. And then we've got those that are so staunchly independent that they don't want anybody messing with anything, right? So we've got that kind of tension in our culture. But Satan's always whispering in our ear to uh, persuade us that we can do this by ourselves. I can do this on my own. And we, we've all been there. He tells us we can fight sin in our own strength. Um, but Christians should never fight alone. That's In God's wisdom, God designed the church as a community of faith. And he didn't do it so we could uh, keep statistics, you know, in order to compare churches. You know, that's not, what, that's not why he gave us this body, you know, why he called us to assemble in a local gathering together. He brought us together because we are family, we're spiritual family, and we, are, we have a pattern for how family operates in our physical families, that we're to have that kind of intimacy, we're to have that kind of sharing in this journey together. Granted, we will never get to that level as a body in this, in this present world, but that is our model. That's what, that's what we have this picture in front of us for. But the battle we're engaging is serious, and we all need help. We know the Lord is our ultimate power when we're facing these things. He tells us that. The Spirit is within us to help guide us through these kinds of challenges. But we're still flesh and blood, and we need flesh and blood as a part of that strength moving forward. We, uh, we also need to fight side by side. You know, you think about... Uh, someone when they're fighting, if they're outmanned and they're fighting a number of people, it won't. They may start out well, but it's not going to end well, is it? Uh, when they're outnumbered, if it's ten on one, it it may take a little time. I mean, unless you're John Wayne, you know, you're not winning that battle, are you? Um, and we start out that way. We think we we can master this ourselves, but we need people. We need to know others are struggling. One of the problems we have as as people in a church community religious people is that we have this idea because we we think it's expected of us that everybody else has got their ducks in a row right we think everybody else is going in a good direction and they don't have any problems they don't have any issues they're not fighting or struggling with anything they've mastered all this stuff 
you know. I think Brian's on top of his game. I think Bill's on top of his game, and George's on his game, and Stewart's on his game. And I'm thinking, man, if I could just be like those guys. And they're looking at me, and they're saying the same thing about me. And, and if truth be known, we're all fighting hand over fist each and every day, clawing our way, trying to get across the goal line, right? Trying to finish the day and do it successfully. And we just as well as Christians admit that and realize nobody's got it all together. <laughs> We're all fighting the same fight. So we should do it together and strengthen each other in that way. Iron sharpens iron, Scripture says, right? Uh, and accountability is a key part of that. Account accountability. I wonder if we could define accountability. If you were going to define it, how would you do that? How would, how would you describe accountability? Somebody else knowing my stuff. Okay. Um, sharing stuff. Relationship. Maybe uh, truth. Truth removes relationship. Yeah, candor, being candid. Building on, I was, I was going to say truth, building on Stu's relationships and truth within relationships, the accountability of a community has to have a, a uh, common expectation, right? And our expectation is the word, right? That's the truth. Standard. A standard. So, you know, Accountability to uh, different standards is not much accountability, right? So having accountability to the Word, having the standard be the Word of God, provides us all with the proper, the proper focus. Okay. And think along a different line, more like your actions will have consequences. Mm -hmm. Truth or consequences, it's truth and consequences, isn't it? About, uh, about uh, life's review. Say it again? Life's review. Life's review. Like a performance okay. review at the end of your life. Living life. Uh, I would say one thing that we haven't talked about here is uh, permission. Is a word I think of when I think about accountability because if we're going to be accountable, I have to give you permission to enter my space without, without uh, parameters, without uh, restraints, right? Yep. Um, and that's, that's hard to do. You know, before you're, to me, before you're going to release uh, to someone about yourself, you've got to have a real relationship between one another. Be humble. I mean, this may not be pretty, but we know where we're at, right? We know there's a lot of there's a lot of deep soul issues involved in accountability. If, and I'll I'll qualify it by saying, if it's done properly. Now sometimes you can do accountability in name only, just like you can do spiritual things in name only, right? You can you go to church in name only. You can be a member of a church in name only. You can do accountability. You know, you can have three little superficial questions that you ask each other, and you can lie to each other all you want to, right? I've always said that. 
Accountability is good, it's great, but a lot of times we don't do it the way it's intended to be done. We lie to each other. We lie to ourselves, maybe, about it. So you have to get, you have to be honest with each other. Honesty, maybe that's a word we haven't thrown out, right? Same thing as candor and truth and all those things. These are all, these are all traveling in the same stream. That's, that's a really good foundation to start with to tell someone, I, I will never lie to you. Whatever you ask me, we're going to do this. I won't lie to you, so don't lie to me. Yeah, and it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? You know, we made a commitment years ago when our kids were born, <clears throat> my wife and I did, that we were going to be uh, honest with them. So we can't do a lot of things. We're going to make some mistakes, but we're going to be honest. We'll own the mistakes. We'll admit those things. And we're not going to uh, prop them up with things that aren't true. And now that, that had some other motivations in it that had to do with, you know, some of the, some of the uh, Disneyland type, you know, happily ever after kind of stuff and some of those characters and stuff. We said, look, we're, we're not going to prop any of those things up as, and give you the opportunity to believe that those are real, you know, we're going to tell you the truth. And so, you know, we, we felt like that was the right thing to do. There came a time later on when one of my girls, I think it was Amber, my oldest one, she was probably about uh, 16, 15, 16, and she wanted to do something. And, uh, and, and it seemed innocent enough, but in my, my estimation, I felt like it wasn't a, a wise decision. And so I had, I said, no, I said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And here's the reasons why. And I told her and she didn't really like it very much. And I remember as clear as if it happened yesterday, she looked at me like, you know, she was so devastated because I would not give in to this. And I looked at her and I said, Amber, I want to ask you a question. Have I ever lied to you? All those years it took of building this trust up. And I was able to look at her in that moment. I didn't know it was coming this day, but, I, but in that moment, it just came to me, and I said, have I ever lied to you? And she looked at me, and she said, no. And I said, I'm not lying now. And that was the end of the discussion. She didn't like it, but she appreciated the fact that she knew I was doing what I thought was best and that she had to trust that. So that's, that's what we're trying to build when we're trying to build accountability with other people it's not superficial it's got to get below the surface you know and get to where you build that kind of trust and honesty where you can say those kind of things. you can speak into somebody's life honestly because you've been do you've been building that trust and they know that you mean it and that you're being honest with them and, and candid so that's what it's that's what it's about and um christians should pursue accountability there are three biblical reasons I want to give you to support that statement that Christians should pursue accountability. All right? Before I do that, I'm going to assign some verses. So I'm going to come to you. I was going to hand out my slips, but with the increase in COVID, I thought maybe it's better I don't pass stuff around. So I'm not going to do that tonight. I'll just call them out like we've done before, and you'll read them. So, Charles, if you'll take 1 John 1, 9 and 10. 1 John 1, 9 and 10. Brian, if you'll take Psalm 54, I mean, sorry, Psalm 51, 4. And really, just the first part of that will be fine. Brenda, you want to take one? Mm -hmm. James 5, 16. Phil, if you'll take John 1, 1 through 5. John 1, 1 through 5. Yuri, if you'll take John 3, 19 through 21. John 3, 19 through 21. Nadia, would you like one or not? No? Vera? No? Bill? Bill, if you'll take 1 John 1, 5 through 7. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Carol, if you'll take Proverbs 28, 13. George, if you'll take Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Stu, I'll give you Proverbs 20, verse 5. 
All right, we'll stop there for now. Okay. Christians should pursue accountability. Three biblical reasons to support this. First of all, Scripture encourages confession. Scripture encourages confession. 1 John 1... That's a great verse. You know, we know that Christ's blood, once we turn to Him, covers us, and it covers us forever. You don't have to go back and get redipped every day. But we also know that sin has a way of working its way into our everyday lives and becoming a wedge that separates us in our communion with God. So we need to go back to God and acknowledge the sin that has made its way into our lives, practically speaking, day by day, and confess that. We acknowledge that it's sin. We acknowledge that it's wrong. And we ask Him to forgive us of it. And we receive that. And it removes not things keeping us from having a relationship with Him, but keeping us from having communion with Him, fellowship with Him. He says that if we confess, if we confess, He is faithful to forgive. That means He cannot refuse to forgive. If we confess, based upon the blood of Christ, God will never, for, He will never refuse to forgive us. Isn't that, isn't that great? You know, I mean, there's been times we've all had to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. And we're human beings. Sometimes they won't forgive you, right? And if they do forgive you, they may not forget. So that's always, pro that's never a problem with God. Never. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's great news. Confession is helpful because it relieves the burden of guilt and shame that we carry when we cross a line, do something we know we shouldn't do. And more than that, Scripture directs us to do this. It tells us that we should do this. Psalm 51, 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Perfect. Confession of sin begins with God. Our sin, first and foremost, is against God. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to each other and seek to reconcile or ask forgiveness. That's not the point. The point is, though, all sin is first and foremost an offense against God. Okay? It, we were created in God's image. We are created to be conformed to the image of God, to, to be God's viceroys, His representatives in this world, to be, his, to be representatives of His presence, His power, His desires, all those things. And so when we do things that are not in keeping with His will, which is if we do something against another person, first and foremost, we've offended God. We're not being what God's called and, and created us to be. So our first step is to take, take the sin to Him and get His forgiveness. Then we go to that one that we, the other one that we may have uh, committed a sin against and seek their forgiveness. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Yeah, so then we go to one another. We go to that person that we have offended, that we have alienated in some way. Sometimes that person may not even recognize or realize mm -hmm. you have offended them. But God is convicting you in your spirit that you did, you did something and you need to go to them and make it right. I've had people do that with me. They'll come to me and say, I need to apologize to you. And I say, for what? I have no idea. I, and I like it when I don't know, you know. One of those things where you're just seething and wait, why has that person come to me? Do they know what they've done? I don't ever want to be there. I mean, Scripture tells us that we should go to them and tell them. You know, you have crossed a line here with me, and we need to get this straight. We need to be just like you would a spouse or a brother or sister at home. In order to keep the harmony, we're supposed to go to each other. But I like it better when God moves upon somebody's heart, and it's not even on my radar, and they come. And I say, look, you're forgiven. Obviously, you're forgiven. I, I didn't even know I had anything to you know, be offended about. Um, and that's a good place to be for the person. But it's also healthy for the other person 
to do what God has commanded because God's stirring the conscience and the heart and drawing them to the person. Healthy relationships include conversation about sin. We don't we talk about sin in generalities, don't we? We, we treat it in an arbitrary fashion, and we need to treat it more specifically because then we would understand the seriousness, the gravity of it, and we would be a little bit more, I think we'd have a little bit more deterrent from engaging in it if we dealt with it more specifically. When we think about it as being something general, we don't always readily see the guilt in ourselves. We don't see ourselves being sinners. You hear it all the time. If you ask the average person on the street or you try to tell them they're a sinner, what are they going to say? Or if you ask them, how are you going to get to heaven? This is my favorite. How are you going to get to heaven someday? Well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You know, have you sinned? Well, I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen. You know, but they're thinking in very 30,000 foot level things, you know. Well, I've never stolen a car or broken into somebody's house and taken you know, their jewelry or their money, you know, but that's not what we're talking about. Jesus said, if you've done it in your heart, you're guilty, right? So we need to talk more specifically because basically we're all guilty of all these things. Um, confession initiates openness and vulnerability about sin before God and others. Now, it's never easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's always worth going through this process of seeking forgiveness. John 1, 1 through 5. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon with our hands, have handled the world of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, is manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also will have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write unto you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard of him, declaring to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay. Uh, Yuri, John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Hmm. Okay. Bill? First John, uh, John 1, 5 through 7. Mm -hmm. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Uh, there's a passage in Ephesians 5 that, that goes through a list of, um, we'll say, bad sinful behavior. Uh, sexual immorality, all impurity, crude joking, all these things are out of place. Instead, he says, let there be thanksgiving. But verse 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So that's, a, that's instruction for us as believers have no part in these things at the beginning of this chapter he says therefore be imitators of God and beloved children why because you're in Christ now the back half of Ephesians the first half is telling us how the mess we were in the the back half of Ephesians tells us now that we're in Christ things are different and here he's saying we become imitators of God and so we no longer walk after these things of darkness um, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So we do that one to the other, which strengthens us. Uh, Carol, Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Yeah. Conceal it, God will expose it. Put it under the blood of Christ, God casts it away. 
It's as simple as that. The second reason that we should pursue accountability is Scripture warns us about self-deceit. Scripture warns us about self-deceit. Um, when you were learning to drive, you remember, you remember most of you probably had driver's ed. We used to have that in school, right? They don't have it anymore, and you can tell. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have it back then? Um, one of the things I remember distinctly hearing about, and, and you know this is true because you've all done this, especially around here where you're driving on eight lanes at one time, that blind spot that you've got, right? That you can't see with the mirrors. You have to turn around and look. You know, you always turn around and look. Now we've got picture screens that tell us what's behind us and all this stuff, but you had to turn physically and look. Don't trust your mirrors because there's a blind spot there. All of us have blind spots, don't we? Especially when it comes to our own lives and our, and our sin, our character. There are places, there are things in us that we don't recognize. You know, we may hurt or offend someone and not even know that we've done that or realize it. Um, and it's a hard thing when someone points out one of your blind spots, isn't it? It's not something you want to hear. I can remember one of my daughters saying that to me a few uh, years ago about... Um, you know, getting real candid with me one night just out of the blue, and it caught me off guard, you know, and I didn't want to hear it. Uh, but I had to listen, you know. I listened because my relationship was more important than my pride at that moment, and even though I didn't necessarily, I don't know that I agreed with what she was saying, but from her perspective, it was true. And so I had to I had to receive that because it was a blind spot in our relationship. And, and I had to try to change that. I had to become aware of it and change it. That's a hard thing for us to do. But it's essential. And that's why accountability is so important. Because if we don't, we deceive ourselves. Right? We deceive ourselves. Sin can make me blind to my own faults. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, George. Say to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Self-deceit leads believers into momentary, listen, this is key. I never thought about this until this week as I was preparing this. Self-deceit leads believers into momentary atheism. Moments when self-dependence and lack of trust in God causes us to live more like the world and less according to the Word. So self-deceit causes, in other words, self-deceit causes us to start living like we're in the world rather than according to God's Word. So we're living as practical atheists in those moments, right? That's, you know, that, that kind of rocked my world this week, thinking about that. Richard Sibbs, one of the old Puritans, describes uh, a particularly two dangerous, two sins, two da particularly dangerous sins. Say it that way. Two sins that are particularly dangerous. Spiritual pride and security. Spiritual, spiritual pride and security. So what's the, what's the antidote to self-deceit? George, read verse 13 again. But encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what did he say? Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Which he says, encourage one another what? As long as it's called today. Today. Now, the implication there is a regular, daily, a daily interaction, right? That's the implication. Encourage each other daily in this. So we're constantly. Hey, if you were out here in the parking lot for any length of time when, you know, people are gathering in the parking lot, you know, on a Sunday morning, or if you came in the morning at 9 o'clock when the moms are coming through and dropping their children in a weekday, you know, if you stood out there any length of time, there would come a moment where you'd have to tell someone, watch, be careful with your car right now. There's a 
child here or there's something you don't see, we'd be watching, wouldn't we? You'd be watching to help them to avoid something that could be disastrous. Why don't we think about that spiritually speaking? We feel like it's not our business, don't we? Or they will think it's not my business. They're going to say, why are you in my stuff? <laughs> why are you in my stuff? We don't want to share our stuff, right? I don't. I don't want anybody in my stuff. Um, the third reason we need to pursue accountability is that Scripture encourages honesty about weakness. Scripture encourages honesty about weakness. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul was engaged in um, a ferocious, <laughs> I would call it that, a fierce defense of his apostleship to the Corinthian believers. You know, these people that were living like, you know, like the world for all practical purposes, you know, were questioning whether Paul was called to be an apostle. They were, they were you know, throwing it back at him. And so Paul is engaged in this defense. And, and as he's getting to this, uh, working his way through this, he gets into 2 Corinthians verse, um, chapter 11, verses 18 and 30. Let me see if I can read that for us quickly. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 18 says, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Okay, this is what Paul writes to him. He says, if you want to boast, I'm going to boast with you. Well, wow, Paul's going to boast. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of things that show my weakness. That's not what most of us do when we think about boasting, is it? He says, if I must, if I will boast of the things I will show my, or I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He goes on to talk about this thorn in the flesh that we've talked about numerous occasions. That I had this thorn in the flesh, this thing that, you know, maybe it was a, some people believe it was a person who was uh, antagonizing him or giving him a hard time or berating him or whatever it may be that he was having to deal with all the time. Some people believe it might have been a, 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 a fleshly uh, impediment or a malady of some sort that, you know, he supposedly had problems with his eyes. And that there could have been anything physically that was tormenting him. But nevertheless, there was this thing that made Paul feel weak. Somebody was putting him down and making him feel weak. Or some, some infirmity in his body was causing him to feel weak and vulnerable. And Paul says, I'm going to boast in that. I'm not going to boast in all the things that I have accomplished. I'm not going to boast in the fact that I was stoned and got up from that stoning and went on and kept preaching the gospel. I'm not going to boast in the fact that I was able to correct Peter when he was off the rails, you know, in front of the Jews, uh, you know, with the, the eating laws and things of that nature. I'm not going to boast in those things where I was clearly right, you know, standing before the, the uh, chief priest in the Sanhedrin uh, when I got slapped in the face. I'm not going to boast in those things. I'm going to boast in the fact that I'm weak. And then he says he prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. I asked God to take it away because then I could be strong and I could accomplish something for you. God, you know, if you're Moses, take away my lisp. Take away the fact that I can't speak. And, and enable, instead of giving me Aaron to lean on and do the talking, help me to be able to speak that way. But God didn't do that, did he? He left him in that weakness. What did that cause? It, it caused Moses to become a humble vessel, a meek man, the scripture says. A meek man that was more pliable and able for God to use. Paul, God tells him this. He said, no, I'm not going to remove these things. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In chapter 12 and verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. Paul now kicks in. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, he's saying this thing that's going on, God's doing in my life is not me because of this thorn in my flesh, this weakness in my flesh makes it impossible for me to do that. The only way that this has been accomplished is because God did this through His power, through Christ. And so I'm boasting in my weakness, which exposes His greatness, His glory. 
there's another scripture that says too that because of the great revelation that you received that God left those that there to keep him humble uh, maybe okay. <laughs> it's not it's not on the tip of my tongue so how do you view weakness you know how do we view weakness in our lives most of us want to get shed of it it's like Paul don't we we, we want to keep it covered up. If we can't fix it, we just soon nobody know about it. <laughs> we feel like it makes us look bad. We think maybe it's something to hide. We think it's something to be embarrassed about. Now, I'm not talking about even glorify, glorying in certain things, you know. We have to be careful that we don't turn this completely upside down in our favor. That's not what we're talking about. But... Paul encourages us to be honest about our weakness because God's strength is manifested through that weakness when we're available to Him. Again, God designed us to live in community. The church, and a key aspect of this design, is accountability. So let's think about some guidelines for what those accountability relationships should look like. <clears throat> I mean, relationships of this nature, an accountability relationship, is requires that we be effective in digging up sin. That's why we don't people in our stuff, right? You know, you go poking around in my life, you're going to hit a sore spot. You're going to hit something that I just assumed you didn't bother. You know? It's like, you know, when someone comes to visit at the house, you know, and if you if they show up at the door, I don't know if people don't do this much anymore, but if someone shows up at the door unexpected, and you're just sitting around on a Sunday afternoon reading the paper, and the newspaper's scattered out, and the dishes from lunch are still sitting there. And, you know, it used to be that this would be an embarrassment to the woman of the house, right? So, what's the first thing she does? She jumps up and starts grabbing stuff, right? Get the dishes over here, and, he, you know, throw stuff in the closet and slam the door. We're trying to get it out of sight, right? Because we don't want anybody, to, we want everybody to think that we live in a perfectly kept house all the time. Even when an unexpected visit happens. Well, we do the same thing with our lives, don't we? And that's, that's what we're talking about here. So relationships require that we be effective. At, if we're going to be honest and candid and, and have standards of expectations based on God's truth, and we're going to develop relationships that are based in, in honesty and we're giving permission, then we have to know that we've got to dig in each other's lives to pull up these things that shouldn't be there. That's what it's all about. So, what are the guidelines that we would practice in these situations? First of all, we would ask good questions. Okay, Stuart, Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, and a man of understanding will draw it out. The things in a man's heart are like deep water. They need to be drawn up, drawn out in order for us to know what's there. So we ask heart-penetrating questions. Not just these surface questions we're talking about, two or three, you know. Have you looked at any pornography in the last week? No. Have you done anything improper with another a woman who's not your wife? No. I mean, you're good to go. huh? You're good to go. Then. You're good to go. Great. We got accountability. Wait a minute, you know. What, you know, what, what, what about in your business dealings? Have you been honest with everything? You know, what, what, what makes you do this? What makes you do that? You know, why have you let anger rise to the surface? Have you let this? If so, then we got to dig further. For instance, if someone's struggling with lying, here's some questions that we might want to ask. When did the problem start? When did you first notice that you tended to lie. How often do you lie to others? What situations prompt you to lie? You know, when does the seat get hot and you feel like this is your escape? What are you trying to cover up by lying? What self-centered motives make you lie to others? Here's the one I like. What's the payoff? You know, what's the payoff when you, when you, uh, for lying, and is it worth it? How do you plan to give an account or explain your lying to God? I don't like that one at all. Okay, 
Second guideline. Do not, huh? How do you, how are you going to explain it to God? Now, I don't know that we're going to, I don't know if we're going to be asked that question if we're there under the blood of Christ, okay? But it's something worth thinking about though, right? It, it can serve as a motivator and a deterrent for us in knowing how we should live because God already knows. God knows. He knows everything in our hearts, so He already knows. We don't have to explain it to Him. But if we play this scene out, it's making us think about, you know, how would I justify this before God? And I've got to be honest then, right? That's what we're trying to get to is honesty. Okay, so... Second guideline, do not be afraid to confront. Most of us are afraid to confront. We don't want to confront ourselves, let alone somebody else. <laughs> right? Are you normally bold in confronting other sin? But we're supposed to be. We're supposed to hold each other accountable as Christians. That's what the church is about. I'm not talking about in a, you know, I caught you, got you, one up to you, all that kind of stuff, way. I'm talking about just like you would your children at home. If they did something that they shouldn't have done, you'd set them down and confront them over this, and, and you're teaching them. This is not right. You know, I may have told you all this story years ago. I bought my first car. Um, it didn't have a radio in it, okay? That's important, right? It's the most important piece of equipment in a car, especially when you're a teenager. So... I went down about an hour from my house to where my uncle lived because there were better stores there and he was electronically prone and I thought he could help me install it once I bought. You know, I didn't want to go have somebody do it. I wanted to buy it and then help, get him to help me install it. So he agreed to do that. So I drove down and, and picked him up and we went to the store. I don't know where it was, one of these Best Buys, uh, you know, whatever that was back in the day, Kmart or something. There was Yeah, there was one on sale, you know, running in the paper. And so he looked it up, and he said, you can get it here for that. So I went. We went together. He stayed in the car. I went in and I bought it. Now, I've saved my money. So, you know, I'm dropping, what, $75 or something like that on a radio at the time. Um, and I come out with this thing. When I pay for it, I give the girl so much cash. And um, she ends up giving me too much change. Okay? And I'm looking at this change as I'm going out the door, and I'm thinking, Ooh, she gave me too much change. She gave me too much change. As I'm moving back to the car, I'm saying, today is my day. Thank you, Lord. You know, I ought to go to Vegas today, right? This is my day. That's the way, you know, a 16-year-old's thinking about this. I got a windfall. It didn't cost me near as much. I got, not only did I buy it on sale, I got an extra sale, right? <laughs> so I get in the car, and my uncle's looking at me, and he says, so did you get what you wanted? I said, yeah, I did. And I said, and it was a good deal. And he said, what do you mean? And so I told him, and he's looking at me for a minute, and he says, you think you ought to keep it? Why did he say that? You know, I was doing fine until he said that. He said, and he didn't say, that's wrong, you know, start pointing his finger. He just said, do you think you ought to keep it? I mean, is it really your money now? I said, no. And he said, you know, that girl may have to, she may have to make that difference up out of her own pocket tonight when she cashes out her box. Cash register. And so I went, I felt really bad. And I went back in and I, I took the money back to her. So that was an important lesson that he taught me at that moment that stayed with me all my life. That, you know, honesty and those things, just because somebody makes a mistake and you benefit from it, doesn't mean you have to keep it. And you know what? Last night, my wife picked up my laundry from the cleaners, right? I'd ask her if she would do that. So I'm, I'm going through and getting ready to pull out clothes, you know, for the next day. And I'm going through looking at shirts, and all of a sudden, I see a shirt in there. You know what? It's not my shirt. I don't know where it's come from. I'm going, that doesn't look like one of my shirts. It's not my shirt. And I'm thinking, looks like it'll fit. Is that it? No, this is not it. But the very next thought I had was back to that encounter with that stereo all those years ago with my uncle. And I said, that's not my shirt. 
somebody's missing a shirt. And I've had that happen to me. Most of you probably had something like that happen where you've lost a piece of clothing and you never got it again and didn't get any restitution. I said, I got to take that shirt back to the cleaners and then it's up to them to do with it whatever it needs to be done. But it's not my shirt. And it came from that all those years ago. That stuck with me and it continues to influence and have impact. That's what we do for each other when we're dealing with sin in each other's lives. It's trying to help each other this is the way we live our lives for Christ in this world. Okay, I've got to move quicker. Um, be honest is the, is the next guideline. You know, a kiss is a wonderful thing between a husband and a wife or loved ones. Um, last weekend, we, we had family together for Thanksgiving, and my little grandson, who's two and a half, he, uh, you know, he's, he's Papa's buddy, and... Uh, you know, he people want him to come and sit in their lap, and he says, I sit in Papa. I sit with Papa. So we, we're just like this, you know. But my mom just thinks he's the grandest thing. She thinks he's just the sweetest thing in the world. She, you can just tell. She just wants to gobble him up every time she sees him. So she just can't restrain herself. She just wants to, she wants to eat him up, but she's trying. She knows that this is not the way to gain his affection, right? But she just couldn't help herself. I saw her the other day. She... She went over and she gave a big kiss to him on the, on the cheek, you know. And you know what he did first? A few minutes later, she planted one here on the forehead. You know what he did? It wasn't working, you know. A kiss is a wonderful thing, but it's got to be done in the right way. We all, we all appreciate him under the right circumstances. But Proverbs tells us that whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. That's Proverbs 24, 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Honesty is crucial or accountability doesn't work. It allows us to see our hearts and motives and access, access the blind spots. Four, we need to be vulnerable. Very difficult to let others mess with your stuff. We've said that. Paul had to share some difficult words with the Corinthians. He rebuked them for their sin and coldness. And yet, he was very open with them in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, verses 11 through 13, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable if this is going to work, uh, this thing of accountability. Number five, be gracious. If we want accountability, we must welcome feedback with kindness. You know, if you're saying, hey, I want your feedback in my life, I want to be honest with each other, and someone gives you some honesty and you don't receive it really well, or you receive it with anger or vitriol of some sort, you're probably not going to get any more feedback, are you? At least not open, honest feedback. So we need to be gracious. We, it's hard to receive reproof or correction or rebuke. We react with pride and stubbornness most often, but we must be gracious or the feedback will cease. Be humble. We mentioned that up here. James 4, 6 through 10 talks about humility. Accountability relationships are between sinners. All of us are sinners. We're all guilty. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. And we need to understand that. So we, we provide accountability to one another in humility. We all need God's grace and mercy. Haughtiness, arrogance, vengeance, hatred, manipulation, they're all destructive. They're all destructive. Be encouraging. George read that verse a few minutes ago in Hebrews 3, 13. Acts 15, 32 also talks about encouragement. An honest and open pursuit of sin can lead to discouragement. It can lead to being discouraged. If you're, if you're digging each other's sin... You can become kind of deflated by it, can't you? So we need to balance that with some good encouragement. Man, just think about, you know, what, how God is using this. Think about how the progress that God's helping you make here. Be available. Be committed to the relationship. Regular meetings are necessary. Guard the time. Don't let interruptions become something that shuts it down. If you're just hit and miss with your 
attention to this, then you're sending the message it's not important or that you're too busy. And then finally, be word-centered. Do not neglect feeding on God's Word. It's easy to drift into a rut of just focusing on the sin and not get to feeding on God's Word. So there's got to be that, you know, not just pointing out the sin that's there, the problem that's there, but feeding and dining upon the truth of God's Word and putting that in. That's, that's what helps bolster and makes us humble. So, good biblical accountability involves asking good questions, not being fearful to confront, being honest, being available, being vulnerable, being humble, being encouraging, being gracious, and being word-centered. Christians need to avoid being anonymous Christians, being involved in anonymous Christianity, which means that we don't let anybody see what's in us, and we don't see what's in others. Accountability is necessary for our growth, and it's an expression of love for God and for our neighbor. Questions? Comments? I haven't seen anybody in a little while uh, ask them uh, how their walk is, how, how their walk done with the Lord, and what's he been teaching them lately. I mean, that's a great question to ask. Um, you know, you may get any number of, of answers, but especially people that are that are that have traveled some territory together to ask what's going on in your life with God. You know, what's God doing in your life right now? Those kind of things, that's, that's a good way to, to begin. Uh, it's more positive, I guess, but, and it can lead to unpacking some other areas that may be our struggle. Anything else? Well, accountability to uh, one another and accountability to the body of Christ. You, you mentioned earlier, you asked the, the self-reflective question, how are we going to answer the question before God? I mean, we, in essence, are answering the question before God every time we answer the question before the body of Christ. That's right. That's right. You're exactly right. And so it's, it's, good, it's good rehearsal for us. You know, it, that, that's the whole purpose behind accountability yeah. is that we don't often think that way. We, yeah. we, we take on the grace, so we think that gives us a license to, okay, we just do whatever we want to now. But, but there is this responsibility that, that we have to live according to the design that God has for us, the purpose he has for us. And we need help each other do that. Okay. Okay.